Blackstone Audio presents Utmost Savagery, The Three Days of Tarawa, by Colonel Joseph H. Alexander, United States Marine Corps, retired, read by Tom Weiner. It was a time of utmost savagery. I still don't know how they took the place. Kerr E.B., Tarawa, November 1943. Dedication To Gale and to the men of the 2nd Marine Division and the Southern Attack Force at Tarawa. Preface Three things compelled me to present a fresh look at the amphibious seizure of Tarawa. Foremost of these was the availability of a wealth of new information about the battle, a surprising development in light of the extended coverage the subject has already received. This new evidence needs to be integrated, where appropriate, with the original primary sources. Second, Tarawa endures as a significant benchmark in the development of doctrine for large-scale amphibious assaults against fortified positions. So much of what we Americans practice today in the name of operational maneuver from the sea stems from the critical lessons learned at Tarawa. Since in our passage from the Cold War era into the 21st century we are still defining an overarching national security policy, many readers may benefit from new perspectives on the costs and benefits of this distinctive operational art. The third factor, equally compelling, difficult to quantify, relates to Tarawa's spiritual legacy. Few American battles of this century featured such savage fighting at sustained point-blank range within such a confined arena. These conditions placed unique demands on small unit leaders and required uncommon courage on the part of individuals on both sides. To find a similar precedent of concentrated violence, we Americans would have to look back to our Civil War battle at Bloody Angle at Spotsylvania Courthouse. Tarawa continues to fascinate students of the battle, therefore, because of this same desperate fighting. Two proud, seasoned, well-armed, ably led opposing forces locked in mortal combat on a tiny island from which there would be virtually no escape. The new evidence on Tarawa comes from several sources. Most useful, and in some cases most startling, is the information available by translating the five volumes of Senshi Sosho, the Japanese war history series, which relate to the campaign in the Gilberts. The material contains accounts of two, of only eight, surviving Rikusentai, the Japanese Special Naval Landing Forces. Other accounts came from officers stationed on Beishio and transferred elsewhere just before the American landing. Still other records show the Imperial Japanese Navy's plans for counterattacking in the Gilberts. Weighing these accounts against captured documents, other analyses from the Joint Intelligence Center Pacific Ocean Area, JICPOA and recently declassified ultra-radio intercepts now available in the National Archives, permits a welcomed view of the Japanese perspective of the battle. The occasion of Tarawa's 50th anniversary commemoration prompted a number of surviving veterans to come forward with their accounts, many for the first time. These accounts, once validated, have proven invaluable. Colonel David M. Shoup's personal papers, which include a cryptic but engrossing journal of his experiences in the Tarawa campaign, provide new insights into the personality of that enigmatic key figure. Additionally, we now benefit from computer-based harmonic analyses of Tarawa's tides during the period of the amphibious assault. Such an abundance of new information affords several new outlooks on the battle. It enabled me, for one thing, to present a more balanced account between the American and Japanese forces, Marine and Navy units, and infantry and combat support outfits. More significantly, the net effect of the new material has given me a greater appreciation of just how precarious the American toeholds along Beishio's shores were during those first thirty hours of the battle. 
The Marines were never more vulnerable than that first night. Why did not the Japanese launch a counterattack in keeping with their doctrine and tactical plans? The reason may surprise you. The implications of what might have happened are sobering. There is no such thing as a near miss in amphibious warfare. An assault launched from the sea is so complex, so inherently risky, that defeat, should it occur, becomes catastrophic. Most of the Marine officers on that beach were students of the disastrous Gallipoli campaign of World War I. More than one spoke of his fears of another Gallipoli that night. Tarawa was the first major trial by fire of America's new doctrine of amphibious assault against a heavily fortified beach. The issue-in-doubt reports from the landing force on D-Day were no exaggerations. The assault literally hung in the balance. A successful Japanese counterattack that first night along the 400 yards of northern shoreline divided by the pier would likely have forced the landing to be aborted. Withdrawal of survivors...